0: The first cut on this record has been cross format focused for airplay success. The men beat on the
1: drums. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Politics Theory Other, a podcast from Tribune Magazine. My name is Alex Doherty and my guest today is Rosie Warren. We talked about the entwined processes of climate change and the increasing proletarianization of the world's population, the debate over whether to describe our geological age as the Anthropocene or the Capitalocene, and we also talked about Walter Benjamin's notion of capitalism as a cultic religion. Today's show is brought to you by PTO supporters on Patreon, and if you would like to hear the extended version of today's interview and of other PTO shows, then please consider becoming a supporter. You can get access to extended versions of PTO shows from $3 a month, which is a little over £2. Go to patreon.com forward slash poll theory other to sign up. Rosie Warren is an editor at Verso Books and also the editor-in-chief of the journal Salvage. Our conversation was prompted by an editorial in the journal authored by the Salvage Editorial Collective entitled The Tragedy of the Worker Towards the Proletariat Scene. I began the interview by asking Rosie to explain what the term proletarocene denotes.
0: Primarily, it's kind of a provocation. The proletarocene, as I understand it and as I mean it, is, is kind of another word for communism. If we take ourselves to be in the capital scene now, which I think is, you know, as useful a title for it as any, what we mean by that is that the geological epoch that we're in, having been named by, you know, certain geologists as the Anthropocene to denote the overwhelming impact of human activity on the geological record. The Capitalocene is a corrective to the Anthropocene to say this is not merely human activity, this is the activity of a particular economic system of capitalism and the rule of capital, however you kind of conceive that. So the Proletarocene, I guess, is a Following on from that, to say that if we ever win, we, in this instance being the global proletariat, the forces of the left, uh, the working class, however you want to denote our side, if we win, we will be looking to alter the geological record in a different way, you know, in undoing the damage done by capitalism, you know, reducing the carbon in the atmosphere, trying to undo some of the damage that has been done already, and the scene encompasses that. It puts the proletariat back at the centre of left politics, but it also puts ecology into the centre of Marxism.
1: And the first part of the title, The Tragedy of the Worker, uh, what is what is The Tragedy of the Worker?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is something that we come back to again and again in the essay. Um, you know, there are several different tragedies that I think are intricately linked. The piece came out of a series of conversations Um, that started at Historical Materialism Conference in 2018. And I attended a session there about climate crisis and how the left responds to climate crisis. And basically the topic of the panel was about the kind of agent of history and the agent of change. And there were various different people giving various different papers talking about who they were, proposing, I guess, as as the kind of agent of change. And one panelist was talking about climate activists and that maybe if the climate is the overarching problem of our era, then climate activism becomes the kind of forefront of a campaign for radical change and the kind of agent of historical change. Or somebody else, I think, put forward along the same lines, youth putting generational divides, each person trying to link the climate and the necessity for dramatic action on climate change with you know particular theories about political agency I guess and the kind of who will be the kind of driving force and this obviously kind of plays into the debates around riots and strikes and the kind of lumpen proletariat the unemployed people kind of who exist outside of the the classic economy if you like
1: So this is part of a recognition that we're a long way past the kind of post-war, you know, sort of Fordist capitalist era.
0: Right, exactly. There's been a kind of ongoing conversation, I think, across a number of years about, you know, whether or not it still makes sense to to think about, you know, the working class um, as an entity that is the agent of history, which is, you know, broadly what Marx supposed. And... Uh, so, so I went to this session and I found it very interesting. And a lot of it was, you know, really useful. And a lot of the thinking around how to mobilize around climate change from a kind of anti-capitalist position. And I got into a conversation with my co-editors at Salvage about this question and the fact that we haven't really directly addressed it. So we've been wanting to take that on for a while. The essay actually begins from the tragedy of the worker in its in the inception of the essay. Because it occurred to us in the course of this conversation that lots of people have been talking in the eco-socialist left about the link between capitalism and climate change. That in general, it is accepted that the inception of capitalism—you know, wherever you broadly date that to be—you uh, know, you can trace it in the kind of carbon dioxide outputs. You can trace it in various different ecological ways, but the damage to the environment and the lifespan of capitalism are, you know, near identical. So lots of people have talked about that. That's not an original observation whatsoever. But what I haven't seen people talk about was what that implies. If capitalism, as you know, I think it does, generates its own grave diggers, uh, in the sense that in drawing people um, away from living directly off the land and into a wage relation, into a position of proletariat, and if capitalism also is responsible for climate change, then there's a relationship between those two things, between the proletariat and climate change that hasn't been talked about enough, that the very process that produces the gravedigger of capitalism, being the global proletariat, is also the process by which climate change happens, that those, those two things have been produced by the same development. So that was the kind of starting point was that the tragedy is that as the worker or, you know, the proletariat comes into being as a class, what Marx calls a class for itself, a class kind of able to articulate itself as a class, able to push for its own interests, which, you know, we're positing is... is very recent. You know, if you look at the global south and the kind of um, proletarianization in states like India and China, that's been a process that has been ongoing for the last several decades. It's only really now that you can kind of meaningfully talk about a global proletariat, and it's that moment that we're reaching the tipping points of climate change, climate disaster, Uh, where we're locked in to a certain degree of carbon emissions that mean we are headed for climate catastrophe. So those two things are happening at precisely the same moment. And that wasn't visible from the vantage point of the earlier Marxists. You know, Marx himself or um, the Bolsheviks or the people writing in the 20th century even. There was growing awareness of the ecological problems of capitalism, but this kind of, this twinned development of the proletariat as a class for itself and capitalism as the driver of climate disaster, I think we can only see from this moment in history that those two things are inextricably linked.
1: And does it in a way, um, positing things in that way, does it actually in some ways show that there's a certain degree of truth to both the position that calls the geological era that we're in the Anthropocene and the position that calls it the Capitalocene? Because uh, rather than seeing the era that we're in as simply one in which climate change is happening solely because of the actions of, of a certain fraction of, of the population, you know, the top 1% or whatever one wants to use. And, and obviously they are overwhelmingly uh, responsible and have more power than, than the rest of us. But nonetheless, the rest of us are necessarily implicated in the process of, of climate change because, as you say, none of us are living off the land anymore. We're all involved in this process. And so we are, to some extent, all responsible and so we would be wanting to pin the blame on capitalism as a system rather than uh, a particular fraction of, of, of the capitalist class.
0: Absolutely. I think that's the key point for me. I think it's less about blame in terms of kind of culpability of, you know, individual people or even individual groups of people. And um, we get into this a bit in the piece about, you know, there's often a confusion about what is meant when you demand that the Anthropocene is referred to as the Capitalocene, because, you know, a lot of people don't. They don't share the same understanding of class, I guess, that Marxists have. So it sounds like, as you say, what you're saying is that it's the 1%, the capitalists or, you know, this group of people are to blame. And it's not clear whether what you're saying is if we had different people making decisions, then things would be different. Um, so that, you know, it's these bad people who are making these decisions that have, you know, led us to this place or or whether what you're saying is, as a group, their kind of priorities, their personalities, whatever, are leading us down this particular course. So yeah, it's precisely, it's to say that when we talk about capitalists as a class, it's not about the people, it's completely irrelevant, in fact, who the people are, and there can even be people and individual capitalists who are deeply committed to not contributing to climate change or trying to undo the damage already done to the climate by the capitalist economy. The problem is that capitalism is not controlled in that way by a class of people. Those people are as much ruled by a certain set of imperatives as the people that they employ. Fundamentally, at its core, capitalism revolves around a very simple equation, which is MCM Prime. And that, I think, if you, if you keep that at the centre of your understanding of, of capitalism as a system, you can take it away from a question of blame and who's culpable and towards an understanding of the causes and therefore the solutions to the problem. If climate change were caused by some bad people, then the solution would be to get some better people in their positions, as, as many people do indeed argue. But if the problem is that there's a system that is fundamentally structuring both of those sets of people, regardless of who they are, because once you exist within a capitalist totality, once you exist within a regime of accumulation, you either accumulate or you die as a capitalist. There are no choices to be made. You either grow or you go out of business.
1: Is an implication of that, the the anger and hostility that people on the left feel towards uh, individual capitalists, d- is that is that misplaced or, or do you think that's not an implication of the argument?
0: Oh, absolutely not. You know, I think you, that's completely well placed and we share it deeply. Uh, I think, <laughs> no, it's certainly not about like lifting the blame of uh, those individual people. Those individual people are also making terrible, bad moral decisions all of the time. I mean, for me, it just comes back down to to what you understand capitalism to be, it's not a matter of bad bosses exploiting the planet, although it is also that. But it's fundamentally, even if they were the most well-intentioned people who wanted to have a positive impact on the planet, unless they can do that in a way that is profitable and competitive, they always have to put profit first. And in the long run, it's not profitable to put the planet first. And the question of culpability lower down the rungs, I think that's, I think that's interesting. And I, get, I think there is an implication of that in what we're saying, that both are right. Like you say, that it is both the Capitalocene and the Anthropocene in the sense that we're not all equally culpable, but we're more culpable than any other species. It's only humans that are ruining the planet. What we're saying with the Proletarocene is that at this stage in human history, however we organise ourselves as human civilization will have an impact on the geological record from this point onwards. Either we'll continue to release so much carbon that we make ourselves extinct, and then the carbon record for whatever species comes to find it will show a continuation of carbon emissions, or we change path and that will also show in the carbon emissions in the geological record. So the proletarocene is also a way of acknowledging that any form of human civilization at this point is a form of geoengineering, because we will have some impact on the ecosphere, on the planet, on the acidity of the oceans, on the biodiversity. So yeah, I think it's to try to, it's to, try to nuance a way between those two terms, maybe.
1: Thinking about the question of agency, and when I was when I was reading the essay, a thought that occurred to me was was to think about various systems of of, of oppression. So, if we thought about imperialism, or, or, or say the operation of of something uh, like a concentration camp, for instance, where the only actors in those situations is not simply the people running the show, it's not simply the people who who are in charge of that oppressive apparatus Um, but you know there are uh, people lower down the rung and there's also prisoners themselves who are forced into positions of of responsibility in which they help to reproduce that kind of system and I was wondering if that's maybe a, a useful way to think about the position of workers that although we're helping to destroy the climate we're doing so from a position where our degree of agency is particularly circumscribed
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is one of the things about capitalism being a totality, is you don't have any other option. Unless you're independently wealthy, you have to go to work for somebody and they decide what the work is. There is no option to go and live off the land now. So, of course, the working class, the proletariat, their agency in in the scheme of climate change is massively circumscribed massively controlled by by what is on offer that capitalism cannot abide alternatives so there are no other options so yeah absolutely i think that's a really useful way of thinking about the worker's role and this is again is one of the things that we are talking about we talk about the tragedy of the worker one of the tragedies is that whatever work the worker accepts under capitalism almost all work or if not work, then certainly consumption is contributing to a system whose T loss is human extinction. So your your only option for your for the, for your way of life, for your relationship to the planet, is already governed by this system that is ruining the planet.
1: I mean, that kind of has. Obvious implications for a uh, revolutionary politics, which is which is discussed in in the piece. And so, I mean, does that argument that if workers were to to come to control the means of production, uh, as you said, they would they would simply find themselves controlling forces that currently produce the climate crisis? Does that entail that certain forms of of council communism or or anarcho syndicalism of, of an earlier era, perhaps, according to which revolution, you know, really consisted precisely in the move to take over workplaces and and run them in the perceived interests of workers? Does your argument, does it entail that that those ideologies might have been appropriate for an earlier era, but are no longer? Or is the argument instead that the, the climate crisis is merely one symptom of the uh, intrinsically destructive and alienating character of those forces of production, which would have to be not merely taken over, but reordered, transformed, and, and in effect abolished, really, in favour of, of a different apparatus of production?
0: Yeah, I think... I think what we're arguing is, is closer to the latter. Uh, we're, we're recording this interview in the context of the coronavirus crisis. And I think it's, for all of the many other things, it is, it's also been useful in highlighting to us, you know, a new division in kinds of work. We have suddenly all agreed on a consensus, certainly in the UK, of what a key worker is. We have this new concept of key work, uh, which... You know, I think you can, in broad terms, you can just swap in the Marxist concept of socially necessary labour. And, you know, in those workplaces, in hospitals, in supermarkets, in warehouses, you know, these have become the infrastructures of modernity, of, you know, whatever whatever era we now live in. And taking over those workplaces in a kind of anarcho-syndicalist fashion, I think, you know, would be relatively straightforward because we, we all still agree that those are socially necessary jobs. But how do you take over a fossil fuel company and run it in the interests of the workers when the very work that you're doing in the extraction and burning of fossil fuels is destroying the planet that you live on or at least destroying the conditions in which you can live on it so yeah i think that i think it really depends on the type of work that workplace is doing. But I think in general, yeah, I think we're talking about if we are lucky enough to see that kind of revolutionary transformation, the degree of transformation of not only the formal economy, but, you know, the, the way that we structure our lives, the way that we travel, the way that we socialise, the way that we house ourselves, the way that we eat, the food that we eat, the degree of transformation that would be necessary to exist in the world in a way that both undid some of the damage and mitigated further climate change would be, I mean, literally unimaginable to us at this point, I think. The implications for a revolutionary project are that, yes, initially at least, and we saw this as we go into In the piece. In the October Revolution, you you have to take over the existed, the economy as it exists and attempt to change it and use it and use the productive forces that exist in order to power yourself towards a society that is less exploitative and less appropriative of nature, certainly. I think a useful example are the pink tide regimes in Latin America and we talk briefly about Venezuela and Venezuela's dependence on the extractive industry extractive industries and there are many things to say about that regime but one of them is faced with that situation where your national economy is already imbricated with fossil capital to that degree and you have that degree of poverty and desperation in your population you can't not use those at least initially you can't not use those productive forces to try and get to try and ameliorate some of those conditions even if you're doing so and many of them were you know with a view of trying to change the base of that economy as soon as possible yeah I think that's I think that's certainly implied.
1: In terms of thinking about doing revolutionary politics is is it in some respects advantageous to be in a situation of a climate crisis because it does force attention on the the inherently destructive nature of of the productive forces as they are in a way that maybe wouldn't be apparent if you were operating in in say the 1960s or something like this and 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 perhaps it makes it less likely that in a revolutionary situation however far we may be from that uh, does it make it less likely that we would see a similar situation to 20th century revolutions where where we see the logic of the system reasserting itself through, through the continuation of those productive forces and, and them not really being uh, properly reordered and, and transformed in a properly socialist direction.
0: I mean, so far, existing in a climate crisis has not been hugely <laughs> advantageous to the really left. Yeah. Um, I'd say that the 60s are, you know, showing us up somewhat in that regard. Sure. But yeah, sure. I mean, if there were a revolution in any of the developed economies today, one would hope that, you know, the issue of climate crisis having been so visible the the kind of degree of understanding of the scale and the nature of the crisis being so much more widespread you know just the the acceptance of climate change as a problem caused by humans at the very least if not by capitalism explicitly yeah one would hope that that would have an impact on the kinds of priorities that that any victorious new regime would have but i'm not sure that counts as a Advantage. I'd much rather be a revolutionary in a time without climate crisis because it also gives you, you know, the kind of ticking clock that, that didn't exist before. If If there isn't some kind of rupture, quite soon we are locked into a degree of climate change that keeps me awake at night. A lot of the consolations that, you know, revolutionaries of eras past gave themselves were, you know, if it's not our time, it will be eventually, you know? If if now the productive forces are not ripe, you know, the, the time is not yet, this is not things are not developed enough, consciousness is not raised enough, whatever the particularities of their situations were, there was a comfort in the thought that you were laying down lessons and laying down examples and historical memory for the people who come after you and that in generations time, maybe something that you did in that moment will be useful towards the successful revolutionaries of the future. We're now at a point in history where if there aren't victorious revolutionaries alive today, I don't think there will be and that's really sobering you know we don't we don't get that consolation that if we don't win I don't know what happens.
1: And I, mean, I suppose, and, and, and again, this is very much there in the essay. We also don't get the consolation of a particularly happy post-revolutionary situation, right? Because we're we're dealing with the consequences of, of, of climate change, and um, right. And in the piece, you're, you're somewhat critical of eco-modernist politics and, and the uh, fully automated luxury communist position. C- could you say something about that and those those criticisms that are made?
0: Sure, yeah, I just want to go back for a second to to what you said about our kind of pessimism about the post-revolutionary situation mm, because I yeah, think that's yeah. really key. I think that is, I guess for me at least, I don't know what the other what my co-writers would say, but for me that's one of the kind of cruxes, the like um the the key points of this essay for me is that yeah, precisely that if it's true that capitalism has produced not only climate change but also its own grave diggers in this kind of dialectic that i suppose we're suggesting whereby the agent of change the class for itself is created in the same process as the planet is ruined and not before and maybe even crucially not before maybe it was not possible to do one without the other then the kind of communism that was imagined by communists' past, you know, by by Marx, by Lenin, by Trotsky, by all of the 20th century Marxists, was possibly n- never possible because the world that the wretched would inherit would always have been this one, this ruined, you know, locked into catastrophic climate change, warming, acidified seas, mass-extinction-laden world. So that communism would always have been, in the first instance, a regime of repair and, and salvage. Um, you know, that if we win now, and maybe, maybe this was, you know, to a degree, given the way that things developed, maybe this was something that, you know, previous Marxists couldn't see, maybe there was never a possibility for the kind of immediately plentiful communism that we imagined
1: and so i suppose the the two possibilities are you know ass- assuming that there is a break with capitalism there either it's some form of as you say a, a salvage communism where you're trying to repair the situation in in very terrible circumstances but but perhaps with the horizon of something better or, and, uh, you know, I think I'm maybe paraphrasing the article, it's a situation where capitalism has produced the gravediggers and, and and the gravediggers have destroyed capitalism, but they're ruling over a grave.
0: Yeah, that's that's precisely it. And I guess, you know, to a degree, and we there is um, we launched this issue and this essay at Historical Materialism Conference 2019, given that that's where it began, that's where we kind of opened it up and we did a panel there with um, Andreas Malm and Holly Buck, Um, Andreas pointed out, and I think it's something that we perhaps don't go into enough in the piece, um, but which is certainly true, which is that this, you know, the idea that communism is partly a tragic project is not entirely new. You know, the only successful socialist revolution in history took place in the aftermath of the First World War, in a country where millions of people were sent off and died and was then ravaged by famine and civil war and various epidemics. It was hardly the bountiful project that they had imagined themselves, and again, the First World War and the absolute tragedy of that period of time was inextricable to them gaining power. The turn to to revolutionary politics came out of the desperation of the war, and I suppose Part of what we're saying is perhaps we have been, and by we I do mean, you know, the four of us rather than any kind of collective we. This essay is at at least as much as anything else an exercise in self-reflection and self-criticism, that perhaps we have really underestimated the degree to which communism is always a tragic project.
1: You've been listening to Politics Theory Other, a podcast from Tribune magazine. If you would like to hear the extended version of this interview, please consider supporting the show via Patreon. You can find the page at patreon.com forward slash poll other. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week.